It's day 42 of my self-imposed quarantine, and I'm finally adjusting to the new routine. I get up, I make my bed, I do some yoga, drink some coffee. There's always coffee. And these days, I have more time for reflection, to be grateful for all the things that are blessed in my life, my friends, my family, my health. And in this position, I find myself asking where I can be of greatest service. Today, organizations are considering strategies that account for a global pandemic that's forever changed everything. Many organizations, as a result, are at an inflection point. The teams within those organizations must refocus their finite resources on the strategies, programs, and activities that drive their performance, and the leaders that lead those teams have to consider the broader economics of their culture and talent decisions. Here at Thinking Inside the Box podcast, we'll do our part. We'll bring together executives, entrepreneurs, and creatives who share similar values and solve common problems. And we'll complement that with a series of articles that tackle the most pressing issues facing business leaders in our new normal. If you want to support our efforts, please take a moment to rate the podcast. And for access to full-length interviews, please check out bentohr.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Until then, be safe. It's giving more tools and accessibility to all of your people that are now spread out working from home. They may have always been spread out, but working in offices, depending on the size of your organization. But again, I think we had, we will still, even up to a couple of months ago, had this whole sort of even fallacy in our workplace that in order to get things done, I needed to go always through my manager. Like, how can I be the optimal employee and tell my manager, inform them about, here are the things that I'm doing, and now please get out of the way so I can go do this stuff. Hey everyone, it's Matt here for another episode of Thinking Inside the Box, the show where each week we tackle the most complex issues related to work and culture. If you're interested in checking out our other content, you can find us at bentohr.com or wherever you find your favorite podcasts by searching Thinking Inside the Box. In today's discussion, we chat with Brenda Rigney, founder, strategic facilitator, and executive coach who specializes in aligning company culture, business strategy, and organizational design to support small startups, family-owned businesses, and CEOs in scaling their businesses thoughtfully for growth. She brings a wealth of experience in both operational and human resources leadership roles. For example, in the previous role, Brenda led corporate operations for Nurse Next Door Home Care Services, which is North America's fastest-growing senior home care provider. Prior to that, she held the role of VP People Operations for Earl's Kitchen and Bar, a family-owned chain of 66 restaurants throughout North America and based in Vancouver, Canada, where Brenda calls home. Working in two industries most affected by the global pandemic, senior home care services and the food and restaurant business, it gives Brenda a unique perspective on present-day events, though it also uniquely positions her to discuss the path forward. And it's one that Brenda believes starts with resilience. So for over the next 45 minutes, we discuss that, and what leaders should focus on at the individual, team, and organizational levels in the days, weeks, and months ahead. We had a really 
awesome, wonderful chat. I hope you enjoy it. And without further delay, Brenda Rigney. Hello, Brenda. How are you today? I'm great, Matt. How are you doing? I'm doing well. What did you want to talk about? I want to talk about pivoting your business and resiliency as a leader. Two really important topics, especially now. Before we get there, I'd love to learn a bit more about your experiences and your background and what led you to this point. Sure. Well, I've been working in HR and operations since a long time. So I started off my career in operations, in field operations with The Gap in retail, grew my way up into the company into senior management positions, uh, went into HR for a little while there. And then after leaving The Gap, I did focus in on my HR career. And then probably in the last like eight years, I went back into operations. So I was responsible at a corporate VP level for HR, IT, marketing, sales, you name it. Uh, so I went back into sort of that general oper- operations executive role. And now I'm consulting. I launched my consulting business about a year and a half ago. And I'm working specifically with CEOs across Canada, helping them scale their business thoughtfully. And I can appreciate that, especially now, that conversation has taken on a higher sense of urgency. People are waking up to the reality that those decisions are no longer kind of luxury, but they're now absolutely required. What's been the general sentiment in terms of what you've been hearing in the market or people you've been talking to? Well, I think when we first embarked upon this uh, crisis, whether we're talking about specifically the pandemic or leading into the economy and our, our looming recession that's overhanging all of us right now, businesses closing, I think there was the initial shock of talking to a lot of CEOs and leaders about you know, what to do. There was a bit of a scrambling in some cases. Uh, not all business continuity plans were probably fleshed out as well as they could be as far as employees working from home and even having that technology capability. So I think initially, like when we were all in that mode of you know, crisis management, it was you know, kind of all hands on deck and looking downward um, versus looking forward. Uh, now I think, you know, everyone's sort of coming up for air. They're able to sort of look a little bit more forward. They're obviously reaching out to economic advisors, investment planners, financial accountants, gurus, et cetera, to really make sure that they've got their cash flow, liquidity in check. And now they're looking at, you know, what, what do we need to do to pivot our business? Is there a revenue stream that we haven't tapped into before? Do we need to go beyond what our regular brand offerings were, um, our services and our products, and try and capture a new market share? Or does the market share that we've been going after still exist for us? Like, so I think there's a lot of sort of questions about strategy right now, how to lead the business going forward. So those are some initial thoughts. And it sounds like in amongst all of that, you're advocating that the HR professional needs to be involved in those conversations, or at least needs to be informed of those conversations. I, I want to talk about resilience, but you've, you've tapped on such a critical I- idea of businesses having to evolve and pivot. You know, if I'm an HR leader right now sitting, listening to this podcast, what should I be thinking about from my own perspective, you know, as a senior HR leader, how should I be thinking about the next little while, as you mentioned? Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that, I mean, 2020 strategy, whatever it was for your HR team or for your organization, obviously there's been some scrutiny. I think in most cases, I I may be generalizing here, but somewhere between 60 to 80% of that strategy plan has probably been shelved. Um, whatever marketing approach you were taking in your organization with consumers or from a staffing employment branding, that's probably been shelved a little bit if you're even hiring at all. So I think, you know, part of the work has been to go back and look at your HR strategy and really think about what is relevant to the business right now. And we are crucially in this sort of now mode versus when I think about kind of future planning, because we're a little bit uncertain about what that future could be or where we're going to be positioned 
financially in the organization. It's now a time, I think, to do more with less. We're not necessarily seeing, you know, again, exorbitant amount of cash flow in organizations where you can spend time putting in systems or platforms. So I think it's, what do you have right now? How do you optimize those things? So it is doing sort of a, a check, I think, around strategy and systems and making sure that they're relevant for today. Obviously, I mean, your employees, depending on how big your organization is and, you know, whether or not you've had a remote structure in place or now everyone's going remote or it's a 50-50 split, are you essential? Are you non-essential? There's been obviously just sort of going back to, I think, Maslow's hierarchy of needs, like making sure our employees are safe, secure, they're feeling good if they're an essential worker to go back into the workplace, whether it's through their commute, they were taking like some type of public transportation before you know, if they're going back into the workplace, how are we making sure that that place is okay for them to be able to do their jobs without them feeling concerned for their own health and welfare and their families? I think also it's checking in with those employees if they are working remote, if this is the first time that they ever had to do that. How, how are they coping with that? You know, kids are at home right now. Spouses are working together. Some families are shacking up. Like I'm hearing like, you know, you've got the, the kids with their with their parents and then with their older parents and then with their younger kids. So you're seeing like, this sort of like merging of families, which maybe hasn't been done in a long time. And so that might be causing some strain on employees. Uh, so I think checking in and making sure that, you know, the fundamentals of employee care, employee engagement are well intact in the organization. So much richness in that answer. And I, I want to break it down into a few different pieces yeah. because I think, I think they're equally important. And I, I think, you know, if you bear with me for a minute, mm-hmm. I would, I would argue, and I say this purely from my own experiences, but I would argue that organizations most did not plan for this. That wasn't part of it. We talked about it. We talked about scenario planning and we talked about potential natural disasters or risks or changes in the economy. I've never seen a handbook on how to deal with a global pandemic where the economy grinds to a halt. (laughs) So uh, we're all doing the best that we can. And it has absolutely macroeconomic implications, microeconomic implications. And then of course, personal, familial, friendship, relationship implications, all of which are kind of colliding at once as we all kind of digest what's happening and, and determine what we want to do on a go forward basis, both personally and professionally. I share that because I find people playing with that tension of transformation right now and trying to determine how they're going to show up coming out of this pandemic. And I, I use that word, I use that term show up deliberately in a, in a broad context. because I think people are defining that for themselves. Um, I've talked to people who have said, Matt, this is the best thing that's ever happened to my family. We're spending more time together. We're reconnecting. We're having meals together. And it's been seen as a real blessing and a wake-up call as to what really is important in life. And I talk to other people who are at the front lines in healthcare that are experiencing a whole different breed of challenge and tragedy and, and guilt around potentially infecting their families and long hours and limited PPE. So there, there's, there's very different experiences happening in this global situation. Uh, but I want to bring things back to an organizational context because the majority of our listeners are people that are leaders inside of organizations and they're considering what the next few months are going to look like. And I've been telling them to focus in, from an HR perspective anyway, on three key pieces. And I think you, you said this earlier very well. We were looking heads down for the last four to six weeks. We were just reacting and playing whack-a-mole with risk, trying to fumble our way through this and, and making a lot of mistakes, but ultimately doing so with the best of intentions more often than not. We now have a bit of a luxury where we're getting in kind of a rhythm. 
where some of the short-term pressures and pains have resolved themselves organically, whether it's the dissemination of information, the you know, allocation of laptops, you know, configuring workspaces and VPNs to allow you know, business to kind of take place in a remote setting. But there are three areas that HR leaders, I think, need to spend more time considering in a macroeconomic context. I actually mentioned this recently in a LinkedIn post, that this idea of, of broader organizational economics and understanding the implications of HR, not just in a talent economics context, but in a broader organizational economics context, your workplace infrastructure now includes technology. Mm-hmm. Workplace infrastructure now includes the ability and to re- communicate remotely, to disseminate information remotely, to schedule work, manage your employees. If your business is not adaptable enough to be able to operate in, in a new virtual setting, then you're facing significant encumbrances and being able to achieve results. HR now needs to look at their role much more broadly in the context of technology, in terms of the tools that we use to empower the work within our organizations. It needs to think more broadly about data, the information that we currently have in organizations that tell stories and that we could be using to mitigate risk, not just dashboarding it and spotlight scoring it. And we need to be talking about knowledge transfer and in a number of different contexts, whether that is competencies that are required to work in a remote setting, whether it's leadership competencies around how to structure teams differently, or whether it's HR themselves around rethinking the organizational design of, an org- of a company that now may not have a thousand people sitting under a single roof, but may have a thousand people sitting under a thousand different roofs. And how do you maintain the momentum and how do you capture the informal economics, you know, those water cooler conversations, the, you know, the drinks after work on Thursday afternoons that a lot of companies have as part of their rituals. How do you replicate that in a setting where we're all sitting in our houses or sitting in different places around the world. This is a problem, Brenda, that I know you and I have talked about mm-hmm. prospectively. Like we thought this would be a problem we'd have to solve for five, seven, 10 years down the road. Now we have to solve for it in 2020. I would encourage leaders to one, be thinking about that. I understand that you may not be in a place where those taking action is, is reality today, but you need to be thinking about that going forward because that, that is your medium and long-term planning. This does become an operational continuity question at some point, and we need to be ahead of this because we have the opportunity, and this is where I bring things back to your resilience comment, This we have the opportunity to architect solutions that are intentionally human-centric or we can do a patchwork of, of short-term problem solving and we can find ourselves in actually a worse position than we, when we started. So I'd love to hear your thoughts. You're somebody who spent a lot of time in the, in the executive space, a lot of time supporting large organizations, small organizations, startups, technology companies, scaling culture, building culture, and doing so with a really holistic view. If I'm starting from scratch right now and I'm thinking through the thousand considerations that I'm trying to process through as an HR leader, What are some of the things that you'd be thinking about from a resilience perspective? How do we build that organizational resilience in being able to adapt to what is certainly trying times? Uh, First of all, so many great points. I was taking mass notes and (laughs) while you were talking, you know, I think some people could look at it. It's kind of like glass half full, glass half empty. You know, you could look at it as being a challenge or, you know, a clean slate opportunity. Like, you know, how have you been leading HR work? over the last few years. And like you said, it's not like some, in some cases, our HR strategy has been planning for this ultimate opportunity that we've got in front of us, unfortunately was inflicted upon us too quickly. Um, so maybe some of our plans were sort of like four or five years out to, to emerge to this place, whether or not we we're putting in technology systems, again, being able to source the right data to make informed, healthy decisions about where we need to direct the organization. 
we're all sort of working towards that state. Now it's like more than ever, we need to have those systems in place. So I think, you know, part of it is, you know, one is I think like you could look at resiliency into two buckets. I think there's organizational resiliency. And I think a lot of the things that you just mentioned in there, workplace infrastructure, technology, data, competency, modeling, org design, like all of those things probably need to take a, to be taken into consideration in, ter- in order for there to be organizational resiliency to whether the next couple of years of, you know, economic uncertainty, because I mean, it, this isn't necessarily going to like just be something that is going to be a quick fix. We know that they don't have a vaccine. It could reoccur in the fall. We could be going into like more shutdowns in the fall, maybe break, taking a break in the summer, whatever that looks like, depending on where you are in the world. So there's, I think, organizational resiliency, and then I think there's individual resiliency. So I think as HR leaders, CHROs, VPs, look at the organizational resiliency, all those things that you talked about, but then look at the people within your team. I think there's a few things to check in with is number one, like the overall attitude of your team. You know, do they have a positive like mindset right now? Do they have a growth mindset in place for them? So doing that check-in to really make sure that you've got the right individuals in place that can lead in that area. You, you may be also looking at, you know, I've seen this in some conversations online about succession planning. Like, do we have the right capability to lead the organization forward? We're having to, you know, fast track a lot of the things that you've mentioned as far as organizational capability. And so I think it's looking at your HR team and, you know, as, as hard as this may sound, but really making sure that you've got the right people in there that have the, the growth mindset and that are also doing the work. Like, so their jobs right now fit to what they may have fit to what the organization needed six months ago, but because we've had to pivot so quickly, do they have those capabilities now? There's a lot of online resources that are being made available. You can look at Josh Bernson Academy. There's great resources on LinkedIn, on Coursera. Ivy League has opened up a lot of their e-learning platforms. So there may be some things in there that can upskill some of your HR team members. I think the other thing too is also architecting, like what is your purpose in HR? Again, it may have been something else like three, six months ago. And now it's like, you know, maybe your purpose is more around agility and forward thinking and, you know, and again, embracing technology. So really making sure your purpose, your why in HR is linked into where the organization is going, because otherwise you're going to be going down two different roads. So those are some thoughts, like initially, thoughts from from you? Yeah, no, I I love your point around resiliency being both individual and organizational. So I think you're right. I spend a lot of time living in that organizational resiliency world. It's it's where I spend most of my time supporting organizations and clients and where people often come to me, just given my experiences working with larger organizations. And saying that individual resiliency at aggregate is organizational resiliency. So you need to have individual resiliency. You can't build a resilient infrastructure of technology and data and have a bunch of people who are not individually resilient or then you start to make bad decisions with data or you start to take shortcuts with you know, compliance or you, you see bad management practices or you start to see some of the traditional employee relations issues that we would have dealt with earlier stages of our career. You need to have both and we need to appreciate that in a knowledge-based economy, there's a strong connection between the idea of engagement, intrinsic motivation and discretionary effort. It's not the same as it was in you know, 100 years ago where we were able to manage productivity on an assembly line. And if you made more widgets than I did, you were more valuable to the firm than I was. In a knowledge-based economy, I don't know how you prove other than, other than through people giving you more. It's just so hard to demonstrate are people delivering their full potential. That's such an abstract thought in a knowledge-based economy that the only way I've been able to kind of dissect it, if you will, is just assume 
that you have to put the right things in the, in the engine to get the right results. So you have to create an environment that's healthy and resilient and respectful and collaborative and innovative and diverse and inclusive to tap into people's inherent desire to want to do good work and support their teammates and be part of a broader purpose and, and show up the way they want to show up professionally. And that then converts into really amazing, cool work. But if you don't start with putting the right things into the, into the mixer, if you will, then you're going to have challenges realizing that because you can't compel intrinsic motivation. You can't use the stick to walk around saying you should do this or you just will not, you must be motivated. Uh, so I love the connection you've made around that. And I love as well that the pivot you made to the HR profession because, and it won't surprise you, Brenda, that I have often had uh, differences of opinions with the broader HR profession in terms of how we've showed up in a business context. Um, I still remember being 24, 25 and being told that technology and data were the domain of IT and that we should ignore it and that we don't want to be in that space because where we add value is something we don't want to measure. We, we never want to be in a position where you can distill our value down to a number or to a metric. And I, and I at the time felt that was such a narrow view. And I, I think even more strongly about that now at the time and certainly today, no one's advocating for replacement of common sense and, and values and morality. But what we're saying is we need to have some of those conversations and those decisions anchored in a basis of quantification so we can measure what works, so we can evaluate the efficacy of our actions and so that we can use evidence, what we know to be true, to inform some decisions. And that means that in HR, we have Suddenly, we've been having this conversation around data and technology for as long as I've been here. We accept the fact it's no longer a conversation. If you are not somebody who wants to get involved in the technology and, and data space, I'm not saying you have to be a data scientist and I'm not saying you have to write code. But if you, I can't do either, by the way. <laughs> what I'm saying is, is that you aren't comfortable with the application of those two tools and those two, you know, those two parts of your infrastructure to realizing your HR strategy or realizing the value to your profession, you're missing so much richness. Well, this is, I mean, this, this, this is why, sorry to interject, but, but this is, you know, this is why I basically like kind of fell out of doing hundred percent HR work in my executive career. And I ended up taking on IT as a department. So I can go back in my career to like before consulting two exec positions ago, where I was working with a large organization, multi-unit spread across North America. We were still doing training out of binders. Everything was classroom face-to-face -face, and we were expanding quite rapidly and we had a mandate to grow exponentially. And so again, different circumstances to what we're going through today, but there was still this like sort of fury and almost panic to kind of get this done. And the only way that I felt that we could get this momentum going or to like achieve the results that the organization needed was to embrace more technology within the HR space and how we were leading and how we were communicating with our people. Hey everyone, it's Matt here. I hope you're enjoying the show. Before we continue, I wanted to give a quick shout out to one of our sponsors, Benji. The future of work is today. And Matt Parsons and the team at Benji have figured out a really cool hands-on learning solution that you need to be considering as you transition your organizational learning and team building and engagement online. Now, I spend several hours a day myself on video platforms. So whether it's Zoom or Skype or GoToMeeting, they're great. They allow me to interact with people and see them in all parts of the world. Though if you're like me, once those calls go on a bit too long, I start to get a little bit distracted. 
And it's not too long before I'm reaching for my smartphone or opening up another tab on my laptop. That doesn't happen with Benji. They have a catalog of interactive team exercises that makes it really easy for organizations and individual consultants to develop engaging solutions at any scale. And I'll be honest, I've been so impressed with the tool myself that we're actually looking at using Benji to power our virtual workshops with client-facing products. So I'm actually working right now with Matt one-on-one to develop a journey mapping exercise so we can take clients through the employee experience and illuminate thousands of dollars and hours of inefficiencies that organizations tend to have in their onboarding and hiring processes. It's a great tool. And because you are a listener of the Thinking Inside the Box podcast, you're going to get a special benefit as well. I've talked to Matt. He wants to give as many people as possible access to this tool so they can make online learning more engaging. And you can do so as well by using the discount code BENTO20. So if you log on to the Benji website, which is mybenji.com, and you're as impressed with the solution as I am, then enter the code in Benji20 and you'll receive 20% off your purchase. And with that being said, we'll return back to regular programming. And, you know, and, and connecting and aligning people around the purpose of the organization and what we needed them to really embrace and to go forward with. And we didn't want to create a top-down culture. Like the organization originated that way. I mean, that's just how we used to manage people years ago. So they didn't know anything different and they weren't doing anything that was abstract to, you know, what other organizations were doing. But now we're talking about, you know, having team-led leadership or self-led leadership around organizations. Well, in order to enable those type of things and to really make sure they think that you are scaling thoughtfully and you can pivot in this time, it's, it's giving more tools and accessibility to all of your people that are now spread out working from home. They may have always been spread out, but working in offices, depending on the size of your organization. But again, I think we had, we will still, even up to a couple of months ago, had this whole sort of even fallacy in our workplace that in order to get things done, I needed to go always through my manager. Like how can I be the optimal employee and tell my manager, inform them about here are the things that I'm doing and now please get out of the way so I can go do this stuff because I'm close to the customer. I know what needs to get done. You know, and I think, you know, I'm hearing even more now, like, you know, before it was, I think, centralizing, keeping systems easy for people to use. And so everything kind of coming back into the mothership or into the corporate office. Now what I'm seeing is like for large scale organizations to pivot during this time, you do need to trust your employees that are out in these remote markets or remote, you know, workplaces to go and connect to their customers. So what do they need? What tools can you you get them to, to really optimize what they're needing to deliver on for the customer. And HR, IT, even marketing to that standpoint, like you were talking about how HR sort of shied away from taking on the technology piece because they were worried that they have to learn how to code. I think I've also seen it on the marketing side of things, like as far as employer branding and really making sure that you are talking about what your employment value proposition is. And even talking in that type of vocabulary, a lot of HR professionals still struggle with the idea that they should be responsible for the employment brand. They think, you know, somehow marketing is going to provide that service to them, which sometimes they can, but marketing also has their, you know, hands full doing their consumer branding work. So it's just, it's now more than ever that HR needs to embrace all tools, all access to ensure that the employee, not just the manager is effective. I think in the past, we've like looked at how do we make the manager effective in their job? But now it's like, the employees out there, they're by themselves in their workplace now, which is maybe their kitchen, like 
I'm seeing people, you know, doing makeshift desks in the guest room, whatever that looks like, you know, in their place, or they could even be in a studio apartment sharing it with their partner. It's like, how do we make sure that they have all the tools that they need to be optimal in their work and that they can actually function effectively without having, you know, that sort of top-down traditional manager looming over their shoulder in the workplace? Because that's just not going to be reality. And the distinction you've made around HR supporting managers versus HR supporting individuals is really, really interesting. I haven't heard it put up in that way, but you're exactly right. We spent a lot of energy ensuring that the managers had the tools to manage the employees for themselves because we didn't have the resources to do it for them, in spite of the fact that in some cases they certainly wanted us to. But what we do now have to do is, to your point, support the individual employee and make sure that they can be productive, that they have the tools to do their job, that they have the opportunities for learning and engagement and communication and collaboration to connect them to the broader organization. The intersection here with marketing is very evident, and and I don't want to go down too far of a tangent. I'll I'll just mention that. You know, I've, I've said repeatedly that I think there's a future where marketing and HR are blended, that there's so many complementary skill sets and so many complement that they just, at some point, we need to tear down these internal, external profit center, cost center silos and just operate as a single entity. Because when you have dissonance between the inside voice and the outside voice, then we don't believe either. Uh, and then today's reality, that doesn't work. And you can be leveraging, to your point, the infrastructure that you've built for your marketing organization to market to your talent to reduce the cost in your recruitment organization, the amount of companies that have budgets that do not line up in those two areas is, it's the majority that I work with, that they just have given no consideration to leveraging their marketing spend and putting employment branding collateral into their marketing materials and vice versa, not using the opportunity in the recruitment process to educate a prospective customer on your products and services and not do in doing so in the appropriate way. But you know, that, that synergy and that opportunity is present. And at the same time, you know, we were talking about, HR, and I'm very sensitive to the fact that the role, the profession is getting more and more complex as we go along. You know, I cut my teeth primarily in employment law and labor relations. And then over the course of my career, you pick up recruitment and learning and development and compensation and payroll, and you get into transformation and change management and communications and engagement. And then you get into data science and technology. And like it, it, before you know it, you become a Swiss army knife and it's, it's impossible to be great at all those things. I think it's important for HR people to understand that when we say you need to be wrap your arms around these things, what we're saying is you don't have to be an expert. Like you don't need to come away and get MBAs and all these different specializations, but it's knowing the application of the concept in your practice, knowing the application of the concepts in your business and your strategy, understanding the macroeconomic applications of each of those things. And then most importantly is knowing who to go to and knowing how to sell your ideas so that you can actually realize your visions. Otherwise, they become fodder for team meetings that don't go anywhere. Um, so it's about how do you how do you integrate so many different net, you know, knowledge streams and disparate knowledge streams and then access the resources that you need to actually help you execute against them. And HR can play more of a facilitative role and more of a program manager role around performance and, and culture and be less focused on having to be experts in every single aspect of the business. Well, I mean, to that point, most of my HR teams that I've led in the past, I would say very rarely, well, I've never actually had an HR generalist, like by that title, in my structure in HR. I just think, you know, at at some point or another, like maybe you need an HR generalist when you're a company of like 50 to 100 to, you know, maybe 200. And then after that, you really need to bring in those areas of specialty. So I've had people that are more specialized in say training, OD, 
recruitment. And then when I need the data analytics, I'll go hire someone from finance with a finance background. When I need someone for branding to do employment branding work, I'll go hire a marketing or a digital marketing guru, whiz. You know, if that's the capability that I need in my team in order to do that work, then I will hire those capabilities in the team. I'm not necessarily, and so no offense to all the HR folks that are out there going after the generalist route. I find that as we look at those capabilities that are required in the organization, they may not sit in an HR generalist role. We can think that just, you know, like you said, like, I mean, we can sort of do those things because we've had to learn how to adapt. You know, I've been in our careers long enough that we've just had to adapt and learn all those things. But I think HR for tomorrow that HR leader may need to look at pulling from other departments and whether or not they can second someone over from their finance team or the marketing team, or again, get those other departments to do cross lateral work. That's amazing, which I think is another area that I want to explore in this conversation is just like, we're still kind of working within the confines of traditional org structure where it's like you have finance, HR, marketing, et cetera, versus what does the organization need right now? Like I've seen some interesting titles that have popped up on LinkedIn over the last few days since I've been connecting with new people. Um, I saw a VP of remote work and I'm wondering, like I I have them on my list of someone to reach out to. I haven't actually explored it with them, but I'm curious, is that like a new role that's just sort of popped up in the last four to six weeks where a CEO has said, I need a task force that's going to look at remote work. You know, maybe, you know, it's a VP that they've seconded from IT or HR, who knows, but now they're heading up their VP of remote work. And I'm curious to see whether or not they've got a combination of like you know, like from a SWAT team or a black ops team type of approach where they've got a cross-section of professionals from all different streams of work in the organization that are looking at how do we pivot remote work strategies in our organization. So I'm curious about that. I think, you know, also like when we talked earlier about pivoting for new streams of revenue, I'm seeing, you know, CEOs, again, taking like their highest potential people from a cross-section of traditional departments and putting them into like the Amazon block ops team where it's like, go after this new stream of revenue. Meanwhile, the rest of the organization is going to try and salvage what we've got with our existing customers, make sure that that customer experience is still great for those people. So I think, you know, that, now's the time too to also, I think from an HR perspective, working with the CEO to see whether or not if we're going to pivot, is it just working in the regular traditional org structure or do we need to create new structures across the organization and how do we best support that too? Well, and what you're saying makes a ton of sense in that you're essentially rallying resources around business problems and not around and not around individual functional siloed interests. Because right. you've also seen several examples where the executives who are often most effective, and this is a bit of a behind the scenes look for those who haven't operated at the C-suite, but in a lot of organizations, the executives that are most effective are the ones who are able to advocate for and successfully get resources. Right. And th- that is predicated on an ability to either influence other leadership or the board or your executive team, or it's predicated on getting results or both. And um, when you structure your work around business problems, it makes it really easy to make a business case to a board, to an executive team, because you're not just, I need three more headcount in HR to make hiring better. That's not the way you approach the conversation. It's, hey, to your point, we have a remote work challenge ahead of us right now. It's not going to happen in two weeks. We need a cross-functional team of IT and facilities and HR and finance and you know, and when I say HR, I mean various aspects of HR, learning and development, acquisition, compensation, et cetera. We need to think about the data science implications of it. We need to think about the data security implications of it. We need to think about the ergonomic implications of it. We need to think about the employment standards and the legal implications of it. We need to think about what's the org design look like in the organization in a world where this is now more dispersed. I mean, it's such a rich conversation that I'm not surprised to hear that people are putting VP titles up against that kind of work. If, if you 
if you believe now this is the new normal and that you're going to have to have a business that accordions between the physical and the virtual world, this is the path that you have to take. Otherwise, it's going to take too long within the existing infrastructure because finance argue that they need AP clerks to manage more of the transactions and IT is going to need more help desk people and HR is going to need more people to manage recruitment and the resources will get spread across the traditional silos and you won't actually fix the new problem. You'll just be putting more and more infrastructure into the old model, which makes the problem worse because you've also seen examples of when we over leverage resources and don't get the efficiencies that we need. And then it leads to systemic fissures that never actually get solved, but rather break under the weight of the bureaucracy that kind of underpins it. So, you know, I love the conversation around thinking this problem through a bit more holistically and you reference working out of silo. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Now is the time to rally resources around projects and around business problems and around taking off your badges and stop worrying about who has what and start working in service to broader organizational goals. You know, one thing that surprised me when I was, you know, an HR advisor, an HR manager, I had this really romantic view of what it would be like to sit at the proverbial table. Right. And when I got there, I was really disappointed more often than not. Yeah. It just, it, it became, you know, a manifestation of self-interest. Yes. And you know, I, I expected maybe in my naivete that we would all be working in service to the customer or to the employee or to the shareholder or to mm-hmm. both. And, you know, I hope that people in this current tragedy look at this as an opportunity to, to take a step back and go, what were we doing? Mm-hmm. Like, what was, what was, what were we actually spending our time doing in organizations and how much of it was wasted effort and how much of it was working against each other? when we need to just kind of get our, pull our socks up and work in service to the broader interests, which could be a customer, could be society, could be employment. It could be to the longevity of the firm, which for a lot of companies right now is absolutely precarious. So now is not the time to sit in your kind of siloed spaces and advocate for your individual self-interest or your team self-interest. It's how can I be in service to that broader vision? Because we each of us have a critical role to play as we help organizations get back into some form of normalcy and as we help you know, our employees come back to workplace with some form of resiliency and normalcy. Well, and it's just also smart practice from a succession planning. I mean, I think that, again, up until maybe a couple of months ago, our succession planning process was you know, develop people, get women into leadership roles, get minorities into leadership roles, all great things from a diversity and inclusion standpoint. Now I think it's also succession planning for you know, and I don't want to be morbid, but survival, like people are getting sick. And this isn't just, uh, you know, an economic downturn, but we've got a pandemic and people are getting sick. Your key person, maybe on your executive team may get COVID, maybe one of their family members gets significantly ill, and then they're preoccupied with that and caring for their loved ones. So I think, you know, that's one of the things that's also really important at this point, at, at this juncture is to make sure that the executive team is working around like a problem to solve jointly together so that, you know, marketing, supply chain, HR, IT, they're all in the room problem solving around that because one, one of those people may get impacted by COVID directly. And so you may lose them. And if they're the ones that's responsible for supply chain and nobody else knows what's going on with supply chain or no one else knows what's going on with your branding strategy, that could also throw your company into a tailspin. So I think it's, you know, it's really making sure that you've done that risk assessment, which we did talk about earlier, but I think that was more about sort of like, I think people were thinking more about cybersecurity, which is a good thing to think about. And also just, you know, making sure we protected the customer. But I think the reality is we're going to be living with this virus for a while and someone could get sick on our executive team. And so do we have that 
cross-functional knowledge sharing going on. And then also I think within HR, do the same type of work. If you've only got one person doing compensation and payroll for you right now and they get sick, what's your backup plan? So you need to be doing, you know, some type of, you know, cross-functional training to make sure that's in place, or you've got an outsourcing model where you can go to, you know, maybe your payroll provider, ADP or something like that and, and look for a solution that way. But, you know, those are some things to also from a realistic standpoint to think about. So there's obviously the long-term benefits, I think, as far as executive and leadership development and building that resiliency, but then there's also the practical piece around it. I don't think you're being morbid at all. I think, you know, <laughs> I, you know, and, you know I appreciate the, the transparency and the directness because we're at a stage now where like, it's no longer a luxury to have these conversations. Six, six months ago, we could have this conversation. And if we really wanted to push the agenda on risk mitigation, people might say that we're chicken little or that we're alarmists or that we're advocating for things that aren't, haven't happened. It's happened. It's happened. And, yeah. and it, it, it's having material impacts to every organization that I've ever talked to globally, without exception. It's having impact. We were a digital transformation consultancy, Brenda, before this. We had to make changes. So like, you know, if we had to make changes and we're a completely remote shop that operates and lives in a virtual world, I can imagine that the, 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 the manufacturing facilities, the frontline retail and hospitality, the public service, food the hospital, yeah. healthcare, food production, like everyone is going through. And if you aren't affected first degree, then you're affected second degree by somebody you're working with or in the infrastructure. And we're all interdependent. I think we've illuminated that with this, with this crisis. And I think succession is a critical point. I, you know, I've said a few different ways that I, I believe if, you know, people have asked Matt, like if you were CHRO again, put on the hat, what are the three things you're digging into right now? So you're sitting in the seat, you have infinite budget, infinite resources. Let's role play this out. And I said, okay, let's, here's three things I would do immediately. And I'm, I'm fortunate, Brenda, I, I've worked in organizations that were resource constrained. I was generally leading transformational projects. I don't really know what the status quo feels like because I've never been asked to steward anything. I've been asked to disrupt and transform everything. So for me, this is a comfortable space in that there's constraints, there's urgency, there's high pressure, and there's a potential opportunity to be really innovative to find a solution that works for a whole bunch of different parties simultaneously. So what I mean by that is I, I start digging into three things. The first thing is operational continuity, and you've hit on it. How do I ensure the longevity of my workforce in the short term, medium term, and long term around bums and seats, pardon the expression, and then I go to medium term, what are the skill sets that we need that are, you know, our critical dependencies are, you know, our differentiators in the market that we know need to be present for order for us to keep the, you know, the sausage being made in the organization. Do we have those in a number of different capacities? Do we have succession? Do we have contingency? Can we accordion those things up and down based on market demands, which could change overnight? Do we have the flexibility to onboard and offboard overhead costs without having to retain full-time equivalents and carry that overhead and hope that the, the, the market stays relatively consistent, which we don't think it's going to be in the next couple of years at least. You know, do we have the flexibility to look at your organization in a different way and be less focused on trying to rush towards an FTE target and more focused on satisfying the work to solve current business imperatives and less about trying to maintain the organizational infrastructure? The second thing I look at is technology. Are you leveraging technology in the ways that you could be digging into? Are you enabling your team and giving them the best possible tools to do their jobs? Because the answers that are on the market will surprise you. We are a small business here and my team has a completely automated marketing function, a completely automated sales function, a completely automated staffing function, and we are a small shop. 
corporations that are larger can achieve economies of scale and actually save more money and self-fund their investments if they're willing to make smart investments around things that are automation, things that are focused on collaboration. Are you using the technology to maintain your operational continuity, but also to drive productivity in your business? And the last thing is, I mentioned this earlier, are you using your data? Like most companies are collecting reams of data and 15 when we were in HR, people talked about we didn't have data, so we couldn't build business cases. And now the problem is we have so much data, we don't know where to start. Well, you start with what you said before, which is a business problem. If your problem is turnover, which to me would be something I'd be looking at every day right now as an HR executive, is what's my turnover and how is it changing from the trend so I can project my strategic workforce planning over the next 90 to 180 days? And how can I avoid it? So do I have data that I can use to build a predictive analytics model and to avoid attrition for the high potential people that we know are in critical roles that we want to keep. How am I being strategic about managing and leveraging my finite HR resources? Cause nobody I talk to has a bunch of them running around. How do I be smart about not creating additional work for ourselves, but actually being strategic and building some form of infrastructure in this new normal, because we're not going to be in a place where we can hire someone for 20 years, expect they're going to stick around and invest in them incrementally over that 20 year time horizon that they can deliver value over that, that, that time. Now it's much more about, I have a project, I have a short term need. How can I access talent quickly? How can they come in? How can they deliver instant value demonstrated to us? And then how can they be flexible enough to do something else or leave altogether? That's the new economy we're operating in. So I think HR people need to wrap their heads around you know, strategic workforce planning, technology, and analytics in their practices now as they consider their next three to six months. And, you know, I'm so glad that there are people like you, Brenda, that are, you know, in the market now that have had those experiences and can help people shepherd their way through it. Because easy for me to say it, harder to put it into action. Would love your thoughts on, you know, you know, as you look forward, how do you see your own practice evolving? How do you see your own support to broader society kind of taking shape? Uh, well, for me right now, I think the biggest thing is, you know, how can I be of use and value to people? So, I mean, day to day, I think it's more going on podcasts like this or producing my own content, sharing that on LinkedIn with people and connecting with people um, from a broader sense. So, I think it's, you know, right now it's just sort of utility and value. And then secondly, from there, I think, you know, I want to be there for a lot of the CEOs that I have uh, already in my consultancy practice and just, you know, coach and help them move through this transition and looking at, you know, their infrastructure, like we talked about uh, and who are those key people on their team that we can be coaching and leading in this direction. And then third is, you know, obviously I'm, you know, I'm using this opportunity to connect in with new CEOs and there's a ton that are looking for ways to pivot and leverage their leadership team. So, I mean, you mentioned like just your earlier example about, you know, coming to that executive team table and really sort of being disappointed with that experience that people weren't really leading across the organization. They were just senior people covering their fiefdom, right? And, you know, jockeying for support and resources and budget versus looking holistically against, you know, one problem or two problems that they really needed to solve as a, as, as a team, as an executive team. So that's still the area that I really want to focus in on is you know, aligning the CEO with their executive team, really focusing on culture, strategy, and then what is the right organizational design for your company going into the future. A lot of times companies, like when they're scaling up for growth or in the situation that we're in right now, pivoting because of a crisis, they're, you know, just like we've already sort of said some of these things ad hoc, like sort of like patch and go, patch and go, we'll fix it when this is over. And you know, for me, it's really about, you know, putting in that thoughtful plan, um, you know, first, second, third, being cognizant that sometimes things will shift. So we don't necessarily need to be totally anchored to the plan, 
but you know, making sure that there is that plan in place and that it's commuted and people communicated and that people feel this aligned sense of purpose in the organization. So still wanting to do the same work that I've been doing, it's just sort of more looking at like the means in which I do it. Obviously, a lot of the work that I've been doing before has always been virtual. So I'd say even in my consulting practice, I was probably like, 70 to 80% virtual with um, the CEOs that I worked with. I was doing a lot of strategy planning meetings face-to-face because there's a comfort around that. I have no problem going like 100% virtual. It's not an issue. And I think that's a great way to kind of end this conversation, which is that you touched on it. The, the, the work itself hasn't materially shifted, but the way we go about doing the work and the tools we use to do the work is what's shifting. So as people seek to connect themselves to this new normal, it's investments that you can make to develop that infrastructure, that thinking, that cultural resilience that are going to serve you in the future as this continues to ebb and flow. Nobody right now has any clarity on how long this is going to last, what kind of lockdown we're looking at. But what we do know is that things will never be the same. And we're going to have to build for a reality that we now know is possible and that we weren't set up for in the past. Brenda, thank you so much for your time today. I appreciate the conversation, the generosity of feedback, as well as your time. I know people are going to get a ton from this. I'm going to link all your details in the show notes below, Brenda's LinkedIn profile and access to her website. Um, Thank you so much for your time. I hope until we speak next, your family and yourself are healthy and happy and well. Thanks so much, Matt. Be well. Take care. At Bento HR, we enable your HR strategy with custom HR technology procurement, implementations, and integrations to liberate your team from administration, enhance their productivity and experience, to position them at the center of your organization's transformation, where they belong. With experience as an HR executive myself, I have a real appreciation of the challenges facing today's HR leaders. The world is changing. Your industry is being disrupted. Your organization is transforming. And all the while, you're trying to do more with less. You're being asked to simultaneously model fiscal restraint while the expectations of your departments are only increasing. At Bento HR, we can support you at every stage of your transformation, from architecting the strategy to developing and selling the business case internally. We support procurement, implementations, and ongoing sustainment. And we tie it all together with a deep knowledge of the HR profession and over six decades of combined experiences from our founding team who has worked in or supported large HR organizations across multiple industries, including, but not limited to, financial services, technology, retail, transportation, and healthcare. Check out Bento HR today to build your very own Bento box, which doubles as your business case for transformation. Leveraging recent research into the upside of digital automation inside organizations, and with your help in answering a few simple questions related to your organization, our Bento Builder will provide a directional business case for change. So log on to www.bentohr.com and build your Bento box today.